0: Amen. I'm so keen to preach. Look at this. That's better, thank you. This is cool. Um, Before I start, uh, maybe you can turn so long to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, and as you do, I just really want to thank Riverbend Church for hosting this conference. We've been so blessed by your hospitality, your love and your care for all of us, I think, uh, because they're not going to thank themselves at the end. Um, If they do, it's kind of, I don't know, it's weird. And Phil, your, your congregation as well, Onikawa, this morning we've been received so warmly, um, and that after I offended your church. So I'm really so grateful for the fellowship that we share as brothers and sisters. I know we come from all various denominations and, and even little variants in theology, but we are truly, I, I truly enjoy the unity that we have with, with all of you here um, at this conference because we are united. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that I'm eternally grateful. And, and may also because. Um, I don't know. They will probably be thanked. Your team in the kitchen are just absolutely fabulous. Amazing. And there's this little team of young folk. Teenagers. Running around. Picking up plates. I mean I try to teach my kids that at home. and <laughs> I Only have three of them. I just want to thank them. Um, you as parents. Thank you. Thank your children for serving in such a way in this church. It's so beautiful to see. So I really appreciate that. All right, now that I softened you up, um, please turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a wonderful letter, obviously, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Colossae. Um, In the previous chapter, he says, Therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then in chapter 3, we read the following. If then you have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Well, let us pray. God, as we now approach the final of my sessions at least, it is my desire, Father, that You, by Your Holy Spirit and through Your Word, will speak to us all. God, that we would glorify the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Who is the Alpha and the Omega, but who is also our Savior, our Lord, the one whom we love, and in whom we are acceptable before a holy God. I pray that you would stir our hearts tonight to love him more, in whose name we pray. Amen. Right, well, character, we know that actors play roles. They come into character. They act out certain characters. So, in my preparation, I went to YouTube, and um, I listened to actors to find out a little bit how they, how they prepare to actually become the person that they act out on the screen. So, um, very deep research I've done, obviously. And uh, one, of, one of the interviews that I listened to was from Leonardo DiCaprio, all the girls said ooh <laughs> anyway in one of these interviews he said this he said there are times when you are so in character that you completely forget that you are not really that person now here's the question is this how we should live our lives as christians as christians are we are we just to get in character Are we just to study God's character so that that we know how God is and who God is, only then to act out that character in our lives? In the first session, if you remember, I made the point that the biblical expectation is not for us to act out a Christian character, but to have the Spirit of God testifying to our sonship, uniting us with the Lord Jesus Christ, Forming then within us or through us, through sanctification that is, to be more Christ-like. There is a drastic change that happens in the life of someone who comes to faith in Christ. It's not the same as being an actor who goes home after the show just to be the old self again. But for our character to be fundamentally changed in regeneration and then in sanctification, that is what the Bible teaches us about character. We already looked at God's character. He is eternal. He is the great I am. Who is. Whose subsistence is in and of himself. He doesn't change. We looked at the fact that God is holy. We need to understand that everything else about God comes from his nature. His intrinsic character is what makes God, God. Therefore, God cannot change and and we should not attempt to change God. We should not make God something that we want, or the kind of God that we like. I always say this in my own congregation. One of the things that we should learn to do is just to submit to God. That's our duty. Just submit. He's God. You're not. He's the creator. We're not. So having the foundational truths about God's nature or character then fixed in our minds, that will help us then to better understand God's attributes. How God acts in this world. Because God will always act according to his character. He is eternal. He is in and of himself satisfied. He doesn't need anyone else. So he will always act according to his will and his glory. And he's also holy. In other words, the way in which God acts is always pure according to his character. Therefore, when, for example, we look at an attribute of God or something like God is love that we find explained to us so wonderfully there in, in uh, the first epistle of John. We know that when we say God is love, that love originates from God who is eternal, God who is self-sufficient, and God who is holy. His love, therefore, is perfect. His love doesn't need to change. His love is, is pure, undefiled. So we know that love exists in God, that His love is without passions. His love doesn't doesn't come and go. It is not affected by whether we love Him or we don't love Him. He loves. He is love. He is the I am, who I am, the self existing God. He doesn't depend on anything, and He most certainly does not depend on us. And yet He created us in His image. More than that, to be image bearers. That's why the conclusion of that session was simply, God is. (laughs) He's the only one that is in and of himself the character that he is. God is. His character is the ultimate, perfect, holy, pure, supreme, and any other adjective that you can think of character. That's God. He is the I am and will forever be the I am. Then this morning... Unfortunately, to those of you who had to come here, um, I'm sure that's not what I meant actually. (laughs) This time it was accidental. All the others were intentional. (laughs) Um, But um, this morning I spoke about Jesus being, being the second person of the Trinity. Him being the Son of God. Him demonstrating because He is God and because He is the Son of God, man Himself, demonstrating God's character. Because Jesus, as God, is also eternal. Jesus, as God, is also independent. Although, in His incarnate state, obviously, He had to become man. He was dependent on His mother. He was dependent on food and drink. So He thirsts. But Jesus, in His eternal existence, exists as God, who does not need anything. But Jesus is also holy. So Jesus, while in the form of man, is as Paul describes him in Romans chapter 5, the second Adam. He is is also the replacement of the first Adam that failed. Jesus will live the life that Adam, the first image bearer of God, should have lived and did not. And in doing so, then Jesus then demonstrates the divine character of God in the form of a man. He brings glory to God. Jesus then as the second person of the Trinity, as we see, he's eternal, he's the I am, but he's also man. So in this session, I want us to take all those things and put them together to ask the following question. Who are you? I'm tempted to sing, who are you? And you go, who, who? I thought it's going to (laughs) work. You were tempted, let's face it. But here's the question. Who are you? If you call yourself a Christian today, who are you? To simply break this down using the same words that we looked at, I am, we can look at ourselves as the past me, the present me, and the future me. Who were we? We were by nature, what? Children of wrath. We were sons of Adam. By nature, I am a sinner. In other words, my character... My very being is that of a sinner. Who are we now as new creatures in Christ? Well, we're exactly that. I am now a new creature in Christ. I'm different from that old person who was under Adam or in Adam. And here's the other beautiful one. What shall I be? <laughs> I shall be one day in the presence of God, who is I am. And I will stand there, united With the groom Jesus Christ. In him I am, pure and blameless, without spot and wrinkle. My character by then would have been completely changed so that I can stand in the presence of God who is holy. Now, this is very important because when the Bible speaks of the character of man, it clearly states that our character is marred by sin. That's our nature. It's marred by sin, lawlessness, disobedience. To God our creator and ultimately it paints us as those who by nature are children of wrath and enemies of God. We are described as unholy, evil. Matt already read several several times for us Romans 1, but I'm going to do the same. Because Romans 1 describes the very character of a sinner. By our unrighteousness we suppress the truth. Sinners suppress truth. Even though the invisible attributes, namely God's eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, ever since the creation of the world, the sinner will suppress that. Even though we knew God, man did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we go on in verse 24 to 25, it says, Therefore, we read, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It's as if God says, well, that's your character. Now live out your character and see where that leads you. Giving us up to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. But Paul then expands this point by showing how man's character becomes so evident in how man now lives his life. Because our character produces our attributes or our characteristics or the traits in how we live. You you can't get a worse list than this. Verse 29 to 32. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God. I preached on that in our church. Can you imagine being a hater of God? That is our nature. That is our character. People who are not in Christ are God-haters. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That's what we do. We find a new way to show our rebellion against God. Disobedient to parents. We used to quote that in our home. (laughs) But that's me and you without Christ. He goes on. He says they are are slanderers, haters of God, insolent, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And when we go then to Ephesians, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says in chapter 2, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, you walked in your old nature where your trespasses and sins killed you. You were dead. You were not alive to the glory and the holiness and the goodness and the presence of God. You once walked in those following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you, we, all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Give me what my flesh wants. That's what our human character always wants. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now I'm going to share with you something, and it's a bit sensitive, so I hope it's not... um, Inappropriate for me to do so. But as I thought about this, this incident came to mind. I remember a situation that I faced in a church where I sadly inherited an elder who should not have been an elder in that church. He caused so much problems in that church. He was responsible for at least two previous pastors before me to leave the congregations because of himself and his wife who made life unbearable for these men who served in the church. I was sitting in my office and a lady came to me from our church and she said, I cannot partake in the Lord's Supper anymore while that man is serving it to the congregation. I was kind of shocked and taken back. And I said to her, well, what should you do? Let's forget about him for a moment. What does God want you to do in a situation like this? And I said, well, I advise you go. Go. And see if you can reconcile. See if you can ask for forgiveness if you have sinned against him. And if he has sinned against you, make it known to him. And ask him maybe to repent. Well, I left her. She went. The people, well, this person didn't live far from my church office. Saw her disappear around the corner. Less than half an hour later, she came back, tears in her eyes, hysterical, saying to me, I told you I shouldn't have gone there. This man treated her extremely badly. Not long after she left, he stormed into my office. He gave me a true verbal beating. He was not happy with me sending this dear lady to speak to him. When he was done, I said to him, God's word calls on us to forgive those who sin against us. No matter how hard it is and how difficult it is, At which point he turned to me and his veins were about to explode and steam literally puffing from his ears. And he said to me these words. Even if God's word says it, I shall not forgive this woman. Now you might think that's unacceptable and you would be right. It got worse though. Because he was an elder and a member of our church, I thought I cannot leave this unattended. So I asked one of my other fellow elders to come and join me and go and speak to this man again. Maybe I misunderstood what he said, so I just wanted to make clear. And frankly, in my mind, I was in Matthew 18. As we went into his home, talked with him, he was still extremely angry. This was a few days later. And I said to this elder, you said this, and I'm worried about this because... We as believers are called to forgive others. and Especially if you are in the office of an elder. You are called to be, to be tender hearted and gentle. To which he replied the same words. He said, you heard me right. Even if God's word says so, I shall not forgive this woman. Well, we left his house. And as we walked out, I said to the other elder who came with me. I said to him, I really do think that we should now officially start a process of church discipline. To which he replied to me, Andre, let this brother be. This is just his character. I think back to that moment and um, so often in my ministry, sometimes I get angry when I think about it. I very often get extremely sad when I think about it. At other times I get extremely bitter and resentful. Of course, I love the church. And every time I think of that moment and I get bitter, sad, well, sad is maybe all right, but bitter, angry, guess what? I'm revealing my character. I'm no better than the man who said those things because by nature, I am a sinner. What is worse, his sin or my sin? We are all in the same boat as sinners by nature. That moment defined that man It defined the second elder whom I asked to come as a witness. And it most certainly defined me. You see, the truth is that statement, it is just his character, is true of every single one of us. By nature, we don't care for God's word. By character, we refuse to obey. We would rather seek our own comfort, our own will, our own law, our own God. And if we can't find him, we'll make him according to Romans 1. We quote so very often those verses or that verse that says there is no one righteous, no, not one. But some con- subconsciously we quote it and say there is no one righteous, no, not one but me. That's arrogance. It's arrogance to think that we are any better than any other sinner who ever lived on this planet. Our characters are flawed in its core. I mean completely wrecked. That which is in our deceitful evil hearts will eventually come out in how we speak to one another. How you speak to your wife, how you speak to your children. How you speak to, to people who offend you and have, who sinned against you. It even comes out in how we negotiate with God as if, as if we are on, on, on the same level with God. It's interesting sometimes how we pray It's as if our prayers are coming to God and, you know, God, I demand these things of you. Why do we even use those words in prayer? Our hearts, our whole being is completely corrupt. It is wrecked. That is our true nature. We can't please God in the flesh. In Adam, we are lost, utterly lost. Let me just stop there for a second because I know you Kiwis. She'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'll just keep on living the way I'm living. At the end, I'm sure that I'll make it by my own effort and in my own strength and in my own righteousness. And even if I paint that righteousness with some kind of Christian righteousness that we see in the Bible, I will make it at the end. She'll be right. She won't. Let me be as frank as I can. She'll go to hell. You see, we think that there is this balance, this scale that we can put ourselves on. And and if we just put ourselves on and the scale moves toward the green part, you know, where everything will be right, we're going to heaven part. I don't blame you for thinking like this because as a matter of fact, I, I wouldn't expect anything else from man's character. But we know the story. There are only two ways for you And me. To reach the green section that says you will go to heaven. Only two ways. Obey the law of God perfectly. And not only the letter of the law. But actually be holy as God is holy. If you can't do that. I don't know any legal ground why God should not accept you to be in heaven. God would have no reason to exclude you. I dare you to raise your hand and say I have kept the law. The second and the only other way, praise God for this way, is that the one who is perfectly holy, the one who is God, God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes a substitute and he makes atonement for your sins and he justifies you. He then reconciles you with the Father through his blood and then through the process of sanctification, he presents you more and more holy. So that one day you will be pure, blameless, without spot or wrinkle. In the presence of God who is holy. That is the only way that anyone in this room will enter heaven. Through Christ. There is no other way. These are the only ways. Perfect obedience, which none of us do. Or through Christ. Now, how does that happen? How do we get there? Well, it starts as... Jesus so wonderfully speaks to this um, Pharisee scribe in John chapter 3. It has to start with regeneration. Because I still have my old nature. I'm still by nature a sinner under the wrath of God. My character is wrecked and flawed. Something must happen. I cannot with a wrecked, flawed nature fix myself. So we read in John chapter 3 verse 3. Then Jesus answered him. You remember Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. And Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you what? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Your old nature just doesn't cut it. She won't be alright. Verse 5, then Jesus answered again. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, your character which is flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Something must happen to you, a sinner. And it's something that only God can do because you are completely incapable of doing anything to your wrecked character. So the gospel is this. And I'm not going to tell you. Paul did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 onwards. If you want to open there, follow with me. There are only a few verses, but read them with me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 17. Here Paul says to them, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have been, we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. In other words... Old Andre is gone. He died when Christ died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. Not for their own selfish nature. Flesh for flesh. But for him. Who for their sake died and was raised. From now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. That's among believers. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. You are a new person. Completely new. Reborn. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's when you truly need to say amen. Because it's true of you. It's true. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. I know every time I say that I think of all the other favorite verses in the New Testament. But Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Andre is gone. Matt, long gone. Amen. We're gone. The old me, that old character under Adam and in Adam is gone. It has been crucified with Christ. Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is a different me. The new me. The new creation. It is no longer I who live. But it is Christ now who lives in me. You remember Christ? He's is the one who is holy and perfect. Fully, completely obedient to the Father. He said my food is to do the will of my Father. That's the one who now lives in me. And in whom I live. And the life I now live in the flesh. I feel it. I feel the pain in my back at this moment. I feel the pain. I feel the sin. I feel all the things that are still in the flesh. But even this life I now live, the new me, I live now by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. You see, brothers and sisters, the work is done. Let me repeat that. The work is done. You are saved. You are completely a new creation because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Oh, but I still need to do this. And I still need to do that. I still need to build Christian character. I still need to get myself to get enough courage. I'm working on my convictions. And I'm doing it all in my flesh. No. The new life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. There's a life to live. This life cannot be lived according to my flesh, though. Even though I'm still in it, even though I still feel the suffering of this world, it is, it is a life, like Paul says in Romans 8, that can only be lived in Christ and for us by His Holy Spirit. Turn with me again to Romans chapter 8. We'll read more. Beautiful passage, Romans 8 verse 3 to 10. How many of you love the book of Romans? Why don't you raise your hand? (laughs) This is good stuff. Romans 8 verse 3 to 10. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Old Adam just couldn't cut it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, the incarnation, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had to become a man. It was part of the plan, as I believe Matt spoke about this morning. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus comes, lives holy, so that the righteous demand of the law might be fulfilled in who? In us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who have been regenerated, who received the Holy Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death. What did we hear this morning about Jesus? I am the bread of life. I am the life, resurrection and life. All the I am statements, all those seven. What's the common threat? Life. Jesus brings life. He gives life. He gives the new life. He gives eternal life. And it belongs to you who are in Christ. Verse 7 For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Old nature. For it does not submit to God's law. Romans 1. Indeed, it cannot. It can't. It's dead. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can try. You can try to act it out. You can try to look a good Christian. I mean, just look what Christians do. Some of us raise our hands, some of us don't. Some of us smile, some don't. <laughs> just act christian We could do that in the flesh, but you won't fool God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you don't have the spirit. You're not in Christ. But if Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. So hear this. And make this. You also have the saying. Tie a knot in your ear. I don't know. I don't know even which language I got that from. <laughs> but anyway. Some, remember this. Remember this. You cannot act out God's character you don't have it within you we cannot even act out godly character it's fake to be a man or a woman of godly character is not a matter of studying the character like Leonardo DiCaprio so wonderfully did mimicking what God does mimicking what other Christians do learning mannerisms copying speech Listen sometimes to our prayers, how we copy speech. It's easy to do. So you you sound Christian. You can maybe fool those who sit next to you or those behind you. You cannot fool God. The Christian life is not a matter of just copying God's character. That little armband, you remember the one? What would Jesus do? Well, unless it served as a reminder of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's absolutely useless. What would Jesus do? So I copy what Jesus did. It still doesn't make me righteous before God. Such things can only produce Hollywood actors, Christians who are no Christians at all. But I'm speaking to those who love Christ this evening. If you don't, Let me just again ask you, please come to the Lord Jesus. Bow down before him, call out on his name. Have faith in him, trust in him. The sanctifying work of God's Holy Spirit is done in the hearts of those whom the same Holy Spirit awoken in that new birth. He gave them faith, so they believed. Now as those who live in Christ, who are united with Christ, they are in Christ. They have God's Holy Spirit at work in them, sanctifying them. And that sanctification has one end for you and me to be more Christ-like. So that we can be like the second Adam, who is the image bearer of God, who is God himself. But in his human form, is the perfect image bearer of God. And we become more like him. That is the purpose why God gave you the Holy Spirit. And as we are being transformed, we become more like Christ. The Lord Jesus is the Son in whom the Father saw something beautiful when He said, I am well pleased with Him. Listen to Him. He was obedient to the Father. He was obedient. We speak about His passive and His active obedience. Whatever Jesus did, He did in obedience to His Father. He just loved the Father. So, our obedience and our love for God is vicariously fulfilled in that which Jesus did. Where does that leave you and me? Hopefully, in Christ, not still outside trying to please God. There's no hope for you there. Now, what the gospel teaches us is this, and I love this part of theology. I'm going to get a little bit theological on you, um, but not too deep, so don't worry. I want to encourage you actually to read some of this stuff. The aim of your salvation is union with Christ. I am united with Christ. The theologians speak about union with Christ. Calvin and others believe that the whole order of salvation could be summed up by this term. Union with Christ. Let me read to you some of these great men. Thomas Goodwin. In the 17th century, he said that before the face of God, Corum Deo, is a fancy word. Before the face of God, there stand only two men, Adam and Jesus Christ. And all others hang before God by their girdle strings. Sinclair St. Ferguson, there's a quote from his book, Union with Christ. He goes on, he says. And what the gospel does for us is to take us out of our union with Adam in sin and death and judgment and hell and to put us into union and then communion with our Lord Jesus Christ in righteousness and life and peace and joy and new fruitfulness to God. You are either united with Christ in union with Christ or you're not. You're outside. Stephen Yule, a good friend of mine, he... um, he loves the Puritans, and he wrote a few books on John Flavel. How many of you love John Flavel? If you're a reader, you only... Okay. Start loving John Flavel, a good theologian to read. Um, he's not a Baptist, but we won't hold that against him. He's a, he's a truly good man to read. He wrote a lot about the union that the believer have with Christ. He actually, he actually formulated his whole ministry, his pastoral ministry on that basis. Union with Christ. John Murray wrote a wonderful book, Redemption, Accomplish, and Applied. You have to read that at least. He wrote, Union with Christ is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Not only in its application, but also in its once-for-all accomplishment in the finished work of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, you are in the best place where you could ever be for all eternity. It is the fulfillment of that decree or that covenant that God the Father and the Son made with one another. You are the elect that Jesus Christ came to save, and that salvation means he takes you out of the kingdom of darkness, out of from from out of Adam's race and he places you in his kingdom and you are united with him. You are covered in his righteousness. God now looks at you and what does he see? Not you He sees His Son, and He's pleased by that. And one day when the Son brings us through into the Holy of Holies, and we stand there in the presence of God, what would you and I do? We would take off our crowns. I don't even know why God gives us any, and yet He does reward us. But we'll take it and we'll lay it down before His feet. Why? Because we want Jesus Christ to be honored and glorified. That's what a bride, by the way, does for her husband. In submission to Him. She honors Him. She glorifies Him. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. This whole union idea. How do we get there? What happens to us? Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin... Still living it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, you died with Christ when Christ Jesus died. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. No offense to anyone who doesn't practice immersion right now, but I always speak to those, especially when they're younger, and I say to them, you know, when we go into the waters of baptism, um, it's very symbolic in the way in which God has given that to us. And I said, as you go down into the water, it represents or it symbolizes the fact that you died with Christ. I said, I promise you, I won't keep you there. (laughs) Why? Because that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is you will rise with Christ. Such a beautiful picture that we have here. And that is the true reality of you as a believer. You died in Christ, but you also rose with Christ. It goes on, verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin and instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Why are you under grace? Because you're in Christ. Those are very precious verse for me. As a young man, I went to Russia as a missionary. You know missionaries don't sin. We still have the passions of young men. And you would walk in the streets and you would see and desire with your eyes. And it really bothered me because I'm there to spread the gospel news, to call people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to live holy lives. I remember going home one night and I said, God, just help me with this. I read this, for sin shall have, the actual version I read was, for sin shall not be your master, because you're not under the law, you're under the grace of God. I remember boldly walking through the streets of St. Petersburg, sin shall not be my master. (laughs) because I'm under grace. And suddenly the burden of the law has left me because I know I love my Savior more than the sin I'm pursuing in my mind. That is grace. The truth, this truth, is essential for you and me to grasp. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, he said, if you have got hold of this idea, this mystical union with Christ, You will have discovered the most glorious truth you will ever know in your life. It is glorious because it reminds us that in all things, at all times, Christ is central in our lives. All of our spiritual vitality and life comes through Christ. Christ is the head from whom the whole body is nourished, knit together and grows. Paul's phrase for Christ is simply, who is your life? And says our lives are hidden in Christ. And this glorious truth of being united with Christ is at the core of the Christian life. If you can grasp that tonight, I'll be a happy man going back to Auckland. You are united with Christ and you live your life in Him. Not in the flesh. Not in your own effort. Now, I'm nearly done. I learned from Matt how to preach long. What does your flesh still say? Your flesh will still tell you, even when you've heard this today, get into character, man. Play the part. Do this, do that. No, brothers and sisters. He who is truly a Christian in his heart will truly be a Christian in his life because Christ truly lives in him. Now, be very careful here. We don't want to end up being antinomian, saying, well, I don't care about the law. I just, you know, I'm a Jesus person. Or on the other hand, say, well, I'm now so holy and so changed that, you know, show me, give me more law. So we become legalists. There is an extremely thin but a blatantly clear line between the law and the gospel that we as believers need to tread. And the only way you can do that is to be in Christ You have to love the Lord Jesus with all your heart. It's not primarily a question of what should I do, even though we are commanded to do many things. That's not the question. The question is, do you love your Savior so much that you won't do sin? And do you love your Savior so much that you will do everything that He commands you? Simple. Simple. Christ Jesus should be, should be your motivation. He should be your source. He should be the reason for all the power that you have within you. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. What? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With that I want to close. Again, I have far more here, but I will, I will just stop here. Brothers and sisters, do not think that character is something that you can mix and just put the right ingredients and voila, character. Godly character. Good character. Who wants good character when you can have Christ? When Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, My greatest desire is what? To be found in Christ. And to have His righteousness. We are going to be challenged as believers. I think more and more. We have spoken about this this weekend. The question is not. Am I going to stand? Am I going to be a man of courage? And a man of conviction? Or a woman of of character? The question is. Are you truly in Christ? Because whatever the fiery darts might be. Aimed at you. If you are in Christ. You are safe. Will they kill us? Maybe. Will I wake up in glory? Absolutely. Amen? Amen. Do not fear death. Do not fear persecution. Do not fear anything in this world. Be in Christ. You are safe in Christ. Nothing can touch you because you're his bride. If you touch my bride, what do I do? Don't even try. How much more do you think will the Lord Jesus Christ look after His bride? Let's pray. Dear Father, we know that we are sinners, and yet now we are saved. We once were your enemies, and you made us your children. You brought us into your household where we can cry out together with the Spirit that lives and dwells within us, Abba, Father, Father. And we say that because we have the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to thank. Jesus, you've done everything for us. From the, moment, from the moment you came to earth, you came with that purpose. To unite the people whom the Father had given you in eternity past. To die for them on the cross. To take upon yourself their sins. But also as we read in 2 Corinthians, that to give us your Righteousness. Father, thank you that the law now cannot condemn us anymore. Even though if we were still in the flesh, that is exactly where we are. There is a law that says you are dead. You are, you are going to face the judgment of God. But God, you saved us. You saved us by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you made us your own. God, as we are now united with your Son. Father, may we all just thank you this evening for such a greater salvation. Let us not neglect this, that Jesus is our Lord. And God, yes, we want to be men and women of character. We want to be men and women who are known to be Christ-like. Because we will be so wrapped up in the glory of the Son. That our words, our actions, our thoughts will just be filled with the knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus had done for us. That's the kind of character we look for. And that's all been done. Because you are who you are. And we in Christ. Are acceptable. Before a God who is holy. Father tonight I do pray. Maybe there is someone still who does not know you. Who still is confused maybe. Where they stand with God who is holy. Maybe there is someone father who knows who who convinced themselves through acting out the Christian faith that everything will be all right. You alone know who they are. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will grant them the new birth. Let the wind blow where the wind wants to blow tonight. That you would regenerate that lost soul and bring them to salvation and faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Unite them with His glorious Saviour. And for everyone else, God, who have been walking with you faithfully, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. How encourage us, refresh us again by these glorious truths that I am Christ's and Christ is mine. To him belong all glory, power, dominion, praise forever and ever. Amen.